Good to be here with everybody. Uh, it's our friends and family day, so we have quite a few visitors with us. And if you're visiting with us, we are so glad that you're here today uh, to be with us. And we hope you'll stay for classes and for a fellowship meal. A lot of our visitors are, are from the Mobile Christian Reunion Chorus. And they're going to be performing for us a little bit later. I'm also a part of that as well. Um, and we're really looking forward to that after the fellowship meal. We had a great performance last night, a lot of fun. And we're just glad uh, to be together again this morning. Thank you so much uh, for being here today. You know, since it's Friends and Family Day, I couldn't think about anything better to talk about than family. And I know it's Friends and Family Day, but many times we consider our friends to be our family, right? There's a closeness there, a bond that brings us together, and we consider our friends to be family. So I feel like the word family really encapsulates everything that we're trying to do today and every time we do Friends and Family Day. You know, in the New Testament, uh, many times the writers use familial language in reference to God's people, in reference to Christians. Over and over again, you see references to family. Consider just a couple of examples here. Uh, the, the writers fre frequently are referring to their readers as brothers or brethren. And of course, included in that too would be the sisters. It's just the, the male word is used there. But uh, some translations even add brothers and sisters. But over and over again, there is example after example where the writers refer to their readers as brothers, holy brethren. We see that throughout the text. And I'm sure you could think about times yourself when you've read that. I think about Paul. Paul refers to Timothy and Titus as his sons in the faith. Timothy and Titus were two young ministers, and Paul had influenced them very much to become ministers themselves. And he had he'd worked alongside with them, and, and they became ministers, and he calls them sons in the faith. He was as a father figure to them because of how influential he was to them. But Paul even goes so far as to say that he was the father of the Corinthian church. That's 1 Corinthians 4 verse 15. He was the father of the Corinthian church in the, in the, from the standpoint that he had started the church there. On his second missionary journey, he went and preached there and people believed and the church began. And in that sense, Paul had, had begotten these people is what he says in the text. They were, he was their father in the faith in essence. And they were his children because they had believed in Christ through his, through his word. And so we see this language over and over again. I also think about uh, John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. He refers to his uh, readers as children, as his children. In fact, he says in 1st John 2, 1, my little children. And he'll say things like that over and over again because we're a family. In the body of Christ... We are a family. We're God's family. We're brothers and sisters. And we may look up to people and consider them fathers in the faith, if you will. Because we are truly a family. And that language is used all throughout the New Testament. But even more important than us calling each other brothers and sisters is the fact that God calls us his sons and daughters. And that we can call him our father. Again, family language used here. God's our Father, we are His children. Look at 1 John 3, verse 1. I love this verse. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it does not know 
him. God's love is clearly evident for us, but it's shown just in a simple fact that we can be called his children. That the God of the universe, the almighty, powerful God, considers us his sons and his daughters. That's a beautiful thing to think about. And that we have the privilege of calling him our father. And we, I gave a lesson last year on Father's Day about the privilege it is to call God our father. You think about a relationship of a father with a son or a father with a daughter. There, there's a close image there. And we could see the picture up here of the, the father holding his children's hands. And that's who God is for us. He's our father. We are his children. And what love that God has given to us by the fact that he just calls us his children. Sinful beings, feeble beings, and yet God considers us his children. I think about Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Paul says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. We are God's children through our faith in his son. We place our faith in him. And that moves us to putting on Christ in baptism. It's as if we're putting Christ on like this, this jacket. We put him on in baptism. And we become his children through our faith. And I love the fact that we are Abraham's descendants. We're Abraham's children, not because we're Jews or Israelites, but through our faith. And he explains that earlier in the chapter. Abraham was the man of faith, the man of righteousness. And we are his descendants in a spiritual sense. And because of that, we are heirs. Isn't that what children get an inheritance from the father? And we're going to get an inheritance one day. We've already inherited so many blessings from God, but one day the ultimate inheritance of heaven will be ours because we are God's children through faith. And he makes us one in him. It's an amazing thing that we are God's children. But we can see again throughout the New Testament this family language over and over and over again. We are brothers and sisters. God is our father. We are his sons and his daughters. So what does all of this mean? Why, why am I saying all of this? Well, I think we understand the relationships that we have with our family members are some of the, or if not the, closest relationships that we have here on this planet. The, the family relationships are so tight. We share a name with our family. We share memories with our family. We, we share so many things with our families, even physical characteristics, DNA. We, we share so much with our families. There's a closeness there, a bond there. And that's how it should be within the body of Christ. There should be a bond, a closeness there that resembles a family. There should be this, this uniting together, this commonality, this friendship, this fellowship that is so close that nothing can come between because we are a family. We're not just friends. We're not just acquaintances. We're more than that. We are family. We're brothers and sisters. And so th there's, there's so much closeness that should be there. And then we see that throughout the New Testament. I'm reminded of a, a couple of songs we sing. Number one, A Common Love. And number two, God's Family. And I want to read those lyrics here. This is A Common Love. It says this, a common love for each other, a common gift to the Savior. 
a common bond holding us to the Lord, a common strength when we're weary, a common hope for tomorrow, and a common joy in the truth of God's word. We as Christians, as God's people, we have so much in common holding us together because of our bond in Jesus Christ. It's the tightest bond that we will ever be united in. It's the bond that we have through Jesus Christ. We, we're, we have so much together in common because of him. And nothing in this world should be able to break that up or, or to interfere with that. I love that. There's a common bond, a common gift to the Savior, a common love for each other. But I'm also thinking about the God's family song. I love this song too. We're part of the family that's been born again. Part of the family whose love knows no end. For Jesus has saved us and made us his own. And now we're part of the family that's on its way home. Sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. Sometimes we dream together of how it will be when we all get to heaven. God's family. Beautiful song. I love this because... To me, it shows very clearly that uh, what, what we see in the text, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When we go through this life, when somebody's hurting, we're, we're, we're there with them. We sometimes cry together. Sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we share together and rejoice together. But no matter what happens in this life, we're pressing on together and looking forward to the home in heaven. And that's what we all have this, this common goal of getting to heaven together. And we help each other on this walk because we're a family. We're a family. We're close. Or at least we should be. And that's what God desires of his people. And so this morning, I want to look at one passage. And you're going to be very familiar with it. That clearly shows God's people being a family. And it's Acts chapter 2. Uh, when the church begins where people are first added to the church in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to be in uh, verses 41 to 47, the end of the chapter, in just a minute. But before we get there, I, I want to catch us up to this. And again, I know you'll, a lot of you will be very familiar with this, but it's good to refresh our memories about this very, very important chapter. By the time we get to Acts chapter 2, Jesus has already died. He's already been buried. He's already risen from the dead, and he's already ascended back to the Father. All of that has been completed. That's what, what, by the time we get to Acts 2. But if you go back to Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascends to the Father, some of his last instructions to his apostles are so very important. This is what he says in Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. Gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Before Jesus ascends, he tells his apostles, wait in Jerusalem. Wait here. Don't leave. Wait until you're clothed with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about there. The Holy Spirit's going to come and wait here until that happens. And you know what? That's exactly what the apostles do. Look at Acts chapter 2. We see exactly what Jesus told them to wait for and to do happened. They did it, they waited, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So the day of Pentecost has come, and what Jesus told them to wait for is happening. The Holy Spirit comes down. There's three amazing things are happening here. This voice, or this, this wind, this, this sound of a mighty rushing wind, that is, comes upon them. They hear this, this sound of a mighty rushing wind, and then tongues of, as of fire distributing themselves on the apostles, and then they start speaking in tongues. All right, and, and again, just a side note here, speaking in tongues is not speaking unintelligible speech. Or, or gibberish. Speaking in tongues is speaking in a language that you had not previously known or learned. And you'll see that because we'll see what happens in the next verses. There are people there from all over the world because of Pentecost. There, Pentecost was a, was a festival that the Jews had to celebrate, had to observe. And so many people came to Jerusalem to, for the festival, for Pentecost. And all of this is happening. They hear this rushing wind the the tongues of fire distribute themselves on the apostles and they start speaking in tongues and here's what happens in, in the next few verses starting in verse 5 now there were jews living in jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven and when this sound occurred the crowd came together the sound of the mighty rushing wind and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language they were amazed and astonished saying why are not all these who are speaking galileans and how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? So this large crowd that's gathered together, thousands of people are gathered together at Pentecost. And they come from all these different regions, Jews and proselytes, people who had converted to Judaism to, Jew, to be a Jew. They, they hear their own language. And yet they're from all different districts from around the world. And they come to Jerusalem and yet they can all hear. And you notice what they say. They say, hold on a second. All these men are Galileans. All these men are from the same region, and they, they, they speak the same language, but yet we're all, we're all understanding them in our own language? How is this possible? And it's because the Holy Spirit was giving them this ability to speak in languages they had not previously learned. And they're perplexed about this. And so a scene is gathered together, and that's where Peter steps up. And Peter preaches the first gospel sermon. And we don't have time to read all of it this morning, but thankfully... Acts 2.36 is a very good summary of the entire sermon that Peter gives. Acts 2.36 says this, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's basically a, a good summary. And there's a lot of other things that he talks about in that sermon. But this to me is the, the, the best one verse summary of what Peter says. He tells the crowd, he convicts the crowd that that man that was just put to death on a cross was not just any man. He's both Lord and Christ. That's the Messiah. The one that you've been waiting on for a long, long time. He's the one that you nailed to a cross. That's the one that you've killed. And, and he convicts the crowd with this message that he gives. 
And look what happens in Acts 2.37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? The crowd heard Peter's message and they're convicted. They're cut to the heart, some versions say. Pierced to the heart here. It hits them. And they're, they're, they're wondering, what do we need to do to make this right? We realize we've made a grave mistake. We have really messed up here. How do we make it right? They didn't just sit back and say, okay, Peter, you're, sounds good. No, they, they said, what do we need to do? And look what Peter says. Verse 38, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter tells them exactly what they must do. He doesn't leave them hanging. He says, hey, you've got to change your ways. There has to be a change of life, a change of attitude. You've got to repent, but then you have to be baptized. Your sins have to be washed away. And you're, you can't continue living that way. You have to turn and your sins will be washed away at baptism. And that's when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if, if we continue on reading, Peter actually continues teaching them. Uh, the words aren't actually recorded, but he, he's, he's telling them to escape this wicked generation. And he continues preaching. But look at the result. And this is where we wanted to get to. The result of Peter's preaching, the result of what Peter told them to do, is found in Acts 2.41 and following. Please take note of how close this community was, the fellowship of the early believers. Acts 2 verse 41 says this, So then, those who had received his word were baptized... And that day were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as any might have need." Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture of the church. As soon as the people are added to the church, this is what we see. This close community. And if we weren't even to go any further, I think you could see the closeness of this community. But take note, look at all the things the church was doing and feeling. They are continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowshipping, breaking of bread and prayer. They all felt a sense of all. They had all things in common. They're selling their property and possessions and sharing with all. They're in the temple daily. They're breaking bread from house to house. I mean, over and over again, these people are together. They're, they're fellowshipping. They're close. It's a family. And we could talk about these verses. I mean, we could do a whole series on just these verses here. But I just want us to notice three things very quickly that point to the family connection that this early church had. And then we'll be through. Number one, notice that the early church spent much time together. They spent a lot of time together. Verses 42, 44, and 46 point that out in particular. Really, the whole passage does. But we see that they're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to being together and fellowshipping with one another. Verse 44 simply just says that they were together. And, and, and verse 46 says, day by day continuing. Folks, the early church didn't just get together on Sunday morning for worship. The early church got together day by day 
daily together. They spent time together because that's what families do. Families spend time together, right? Again, we said this earlier, the, the family is where our closest connections are found. It's because we spend time together. We fellowship with our family. And that's what it should be like within the body of Christ. We should spend time together. Not just in worship. This is a great time for us to spend together. Absolutely. But even outside these times, we should be together. And that's why we have other ministries and other meeting times. So that we can be together. Day by day. Spending time together. Like this early church did. And you could see it. They were devoted to being together. Secondly, and it's already come up here, the early church was united. And I I think the whole passage again points to that, but clearly uh, verses 44 and 46 point to that, that they had all things in common and they were continuing with one mind in the temple. Folks, the early church, they knew what their purpose was. They knew God was at work in in them and they pressed on together in his work. They were united. They knew the the unity of the church was so very important. And folks, together, when we are united, there is so much we can do. There is so much more we can accomplish when we have one mind and one purpose together to press forward in the work of God. Jesus prayed for that after all in his high priestly prayer, John chapter 17, that we may all be one as God and Jesus are one. That's what he desires. It's for us to be united, to be one. And many times, again, pointing to a family, families are typically headed in the same direction or encouraging one another to go in the same direction. And we have to be that same body of believers, united together, intent on one purpose, and that purpose is to glorify God together. Thirdly and and finally here, we clearly see that the early church helped one another. And this is such a a simple thing, but it's beautiful to see. Verse 45 says that they were selling their possessions and their property, and they were taking it for themselves and not... No, that's not what it says. They were taking... They were selling their property and possessions, and they're giving it to anybody who had need. You know, I think about... There's been a few times where I've sold some things in my life. My dad's an auctioneer. He sold a lot of things. Um... But many times when I sell, when I've sold something, I take the money and I save it up or I go buy something else for myself, right? Not here. They take what they've sold and they give it to anybody who had need. Because that's what families do. Families help each other. When somebody's in need, when somebody has a a problem or a struggle, what do families do? They go alongside that person and they help them out. And, And Folks, maybe you have the means to do it monetarily. I hope you do, to help somebody out. But it could be in so many other ways to help your brother or sister in Christ. Go out of your way. It may, be, it may take some work. It may take some effort. But that's what the early church did was help each other, giving away property and possessions and money to help anybody who had a need. And that's exactly what we should be doing today. Folks, there's no escaping The early church was a family, a tight-knit community that was devoted to one another and devoted to God. Here's my question as we close. Is the church that we see, the picture that we see of the church in Acts 2, the picture of the church that we see today? Furthermore, 
zooming it in a little bit further, is the, the picture we see of Acts 2, that close family, is that the picture we see at the Creekwood Church? Is that the picture that we see here? Well, let me tell you this. It is our desire, it is our goal to be just like that family. And in many ways here at Creekwood, we already are. We have, I've seen it recently. So many people have been sick, have been struggling, have been hurting. And I've seen members going out and visiting people. I've seen, I've seen so many cards sent out to people who are struggling, who are hurting right now. And so many ways, I've seen other ministries, the youth ministry, the young adult ministry, we're, we're doing things together. In many ways, we are that family. But I think, folks, we all understand that there's always room for improvement. There's always room for us to be even closer, to be together even more, to help each other even more, to be united even better. There's always room for us to do that. But you know what? It takes effort from us. It takes effort from everybody to, be, to make that family close, to make this family close. We want everybody to be a part of this loving family here at Creekwood within the body of Christ. But again, it takes effort for us to, to be here, to be committed to helping one another, to being committed to fellowshipping, and that's exactly what we're doing today. We're a family, folks. We're a family. We're more than just acquaintances. We're family. And there should be a tight-knit connection that should never separate. We're part of the family that's been born again, part of the family whose love knows no end. For Jesus has saved us and made us his own. Now we're part of the family that's on its way home. And sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. Sometimes we dream together of how it will be when we all get to heaven. God's family. This morning, if you have never given your life to Christ and you have not been added to God's family, there is no better time than right now. And we'd love to baptize you into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins so that you can be a part of this loving family that is devoted to one another and devoted to him. If you are a part of that family, but you've strayed, you've wandered, and you want to come back to the fold, and you want to rejoin this loving family, we'd love to help you, pray with you, pray for you. Whatever we can do, we will surround you with love and help you this morning. If you have any need, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.